The Suicide Monk Podcast, a platform dedicated to fostering open and honest conversations about the deeply sensitive and complex topic of suicide. Before we delve into the narratives and discussions presented here, it's important to emphasize that we are not medical professionals, therapists, or counselors. We do not possess the qualifications to offer clinical advice or treatment. Instead, the Suicide Monk podcast serves as a safe space for individuals to share their personal stories and experiences, all while preserving their anonymity. We encourage our guests to tell their stories anonymously, recognizing that privacy and anonymity can be crucial for those who wish to share their experiences without fear of judgment or exposure. Our mission is to create a supportive community, raise awareness, and promote understanding, all while emphasizing that seeking professional help is crucial when dealing with mental health issues and suicidal thoughts. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please reach out to a mental health professional or contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 for immediate assistance. Together, the Suicide Monk podcast aims to break the stigma surrounding mental health and let those who are struggling know they are not alone. Welcome to the Suicide Monk, and we're going to recap a little bit on last week's episode of addiction, sex, suicide, ideology, and pregnancy, and that's where we're going to pick up uh, this week, is with the pregnancy, and then I'm going to venture down the road of uh, looking at a little bit of recovery, acceptance, life has to healing and emotional streakers so sit back and relax and enjoy so you're in your your early early 20s uh and this is occurring about a year and a half ago yeah early 20s about a year and a half ago drastically drastically different from where i am now but Still dealing with this addiction, uh, except this point in time, I have a boyfriend, so it wasn't as harmful as the beginning of the... It was still an addiction. It's still harmful. It's still... Um, it's still overdoing something, but... Yeah. But this is where I started to pick up that it was an addiction, because for me, it was something that I was actively pursuing all the time, um, more actively than my boyfriend at the time and that's when I kind of noticed I was like oh is this a me thing Hmm. I was like I've I've never run into this problem before Uh, I was like is it a is it a him thing is it a me thing and that's when I kind of realized oh crap this might be a me thing um and then I got pregnant Hmm. I just Thought I was being safe, was on birth control, all the all the things you're supposed to do as a responsible adult. Um, and don't get me wrong, through this entire addiction, I think I was more responsible than most people are. So, um, yeah, um, but I guess not. Uh, what do you say? Pregnancy. That? You mean you mean in regards uh, to to being conscious of trying not to get pregnant? That and I think. Even in the midst of addiction, we tend to let our guard down. Um, so oh, that's yeah. what you're kind of saying is that yeah, even, even even though you were full-blown in it, you were being cautious. Oh, yeah. I was being cautious. I was the person where if I had been with a new partner, you better bet I was going and getting tested. Like I made sure other people were tested, like all the forms of protection. So I was still super safe. Like shout out to my autism for that one because right. 
Because it was definitely like, no, there's a procedure here. We have to follow it. I know this is harmful, but process. Right. Um, so basically you were wearing full latex bodysuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No actual skin-to-skin contact. Right. <laughs> there you go. Leave all the extra room yeah. for, <laughs> for protection. <laughs> um, but got pregnant. Did not know I was pregnant for a very long time. So continued to struggle with this addiction that got worse. Because I don't know if you know anything about females and pregnancy, but when we're pregnant, when our body's actively in that state, our hormones go up and so does our sex drive. Like drastically. Yeah, I think that, well, if it's already heightened, it probably increased it. I mean, for some women i think that that goes down or may, maybe naturally i have no idea but when when you're already heightened into a yeah addictive state that's probably going to heighten it even more oh yeah oh yeah um so i was still dealing with this addiction i had this pregnancy going on that i had no idea about for a while because um i have celiac disease which um if you know anything about celiac? I don't. Why don't you explain that to me real quick? So it's a, it's a gut health disease. It's a gluten kills the cilia in your small intestine and eventually just wipes out your way to absorb nutrients at all. So it's it gotcha. slowly kills okay. you. Yeah. Um, but the bloating you get with celiac, the way you can kind of like diagnose without a doctor of celiac is your bloating will make you look like you're pregnant. That's like a super key sign of celiac is the way you bloat. Hmm. Okay. So didn't know I was pregnant. Kept on trotting through this addiction. Broke up with the boyfriend. Um, still heavy on this addiction. Found another partner uh, that I just vibed with. Um, continued this addiction. Continued drinking. Continued partying. Um, all these things that are not good to do while you're pregnant right at all um and through this i kind of like was waking up as well i think there's one drastic point where i woke up and emotionally started to wake up yeah emotionally started to wake up and spiritually yeah both and when I emotionally and spiritually started to wake up, that's actually when I found out I was pregnant too. So I had just gotten back from a trip. You were actually mm-hmm. with me on this trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, so fun of a trip. Yeah, it was great. It was a great time. Yeah. Um, not good for the things I was struggling with though. No. What at not not good. We're like, where did Courtney go? No. <laughs> Where'd she go? They're she's like, missing. She's she's just gone. <laughs> I just disappeared. <laughs> I got I got swallowed up by the crowd and the drinking and the party scene for sure. Right. For sure. Well, that was a great place to do it. Oh yeah. I think I like ended up staying an extra day longer than you guys. Really? I stayed with a different group of people that were just like, Yeah, we're just gonna adopt you real quick and you're just gonna stay with us another night. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So Get home from this trip, 
Uh, I have my sister over because I obviously haven't seen her in a couple days, and I missed her. And I'm laying up in my bed. At this point, I was coming off of the weekend bender hangover, um, hanging out with my sister. Our weekend? Our weekend. That we went to? Yeah. Okay. Hanging out with my sister, and I just get this massive pain in my body. And I'm like, okay, I did just drink like a fish. Uh, It's probably like my body rejecting the fact that I just treated it like crap. Uh, No. (laughs) Right. No. It was a whole different story. Um, So I rush downstairs, turn on a hot shower. Heat always helps pain, Um, especially like cramping pain. Get in a hot shower. Um, On a technicality, I gave birth in that shower because I had a miscarriage and I was three months and two weeks pregnant. Wow. So how many how many weeks is I know you measure pregnancy in weeks, but like that never my brain can't calculate that for some reason. Like I'd I don't like measuring thing in things in weeks. So I know I was three months and two weeks pregnant at the time. But So about fourteen weeks. Is that what that is? Four twelve, yeah. Thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. yeah. So you're about fourteen weeks yeah. pregnant at that I point. was into my second trimester at that point. So the type of miscarriage I actually had was Less than 2% of women that have miscarriages, this is the type that they'll have. Oh, wow. So it was like very, very rare. Um, when you get into the second trimester, people tend to assume they're safe from miscarriages. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the safe zone. That's when people usually start telling people. Right. And never seems safe. No. It really doesn't. And no. from, from start to till, well, <laughs> Well, until you die as a parent. Yeah. It's never safe. Yeah. For your children. No. So I dealt with that miscarriage and just, it didn't hurt me. Like, that was my moment where I realized, oh crap, I'm in an addiction. The realization that I had that addiction and like literally right after I had a miscarriage, I wanted to go have sex. I was like... There's something wrong with my brain. Well, I mean, that's no different than trying to cure a hangover with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It I was mean, like. To, and it sounds really messed up. It sounds really fucked up, but that's kind of what you become. You become disassociated with and absent from your own life and what's going on, especially with your body. Because you're trying to kill yourself anyway. Yeah. That's like. So I'm coming to this realization that, shit, this is a big, big problem. I wasn't, and this is, this is a take that women are going to be very mad at me about, but it's my opinion. They can screw off. Um, you're free to have your valid emotions, but let me have my emotionlessness. Um, so... The miscarriage did not bother me at all. Like, I think I had 30 minutes of crying, just having my little my little moment. And then I was like, actually, this is not a bad thing. I was like, I... Well, you feel like you just dodged a bullet. Not necessarily that. 
for me, it was like who the kid would have been with. I was like, oh, God, I could not have co-parented with that person. Well, it's not just that. What what? So what kids generally do, even in deep addiction, is they kind of wake you up. So there's this this risk and this element that, well, if I have a kid, now I have to be responsible. And now I have to get off my party um, and, and do something. Or you don't, and you just transferred all that stuff that you grew up with. And everything that, that has been hurt by you, you've just transferred to that child. Yeah. That, I guess I never really put that into perspective for it. Because after that happened is kind of when I cleaned up my life anyways. Mm-hmm. So that initially was probably part of the reason why my brain just goes, okay, this isn't this isn't a bad thing. This isn't a problem. Like, get your 30 minutes of crying out of the way and you'll be fine. And so... Do you remember running into me right after that? At the gas station? Oh my gosh, yeah, because I told you. <laughs> I was like, hey, crazy, crazy info here. I just kind of... Didn't care. Like, it wasn't something I hid. Like, I was very like, yeah, I was pregnant. It, most people, like, don't tell people that. Right. Like, most people don't tell people that happened. And I think in the moment, I was like, no, I need to talk about this. Like, this is going to be something to get my mind away from the addiction. I don't know. I was... Tr- I. I was frazzled at that point in my life. I can't you, even. You looked a little frazzled. Oh, I couldn't even explain <laughs> what was going on in my own head. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to process stuff. I was just finding out that I'm deep into an addiction, like bad, balls deep. Um, right. <laughs> Jesus. Well, that is a good. Well, there's every good bit reference. of pun. Every bit of pun intended on that one. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm getting, trying to get away from this addiction, which is. Cold turkeying any addiction. Oh, oh, that's so bad. It's hard. It is very difficult to do so, but I, I personally think that's the only way you can do it. Um, now that being said, you can't just, there's some drugs you can't just stop. You have to wean off or you die. Like alcohol, if you're severely alcoholic, if you get the tremors, you need a freaking beer to calm the tremors and then get help. And you need the, something to supplement it. Yeah. Yeah. You need something to, to stop your body from going into shock, which is probably not the case with sex. I don't. It's, know. it's not, but you do get overwhelming anxiety. Like I. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I probably, I went cold turkey off that and um, my body physically broke down with anxiety like I was constantly fatigued. I just felt sore all the time. I had panic attacks probably daily at this point. Just trying to not text somebody and be like, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" Which is, sounds so stupid. It sounds it's the dumbest addiction because you should just be able to be like, "No. I'm just not going to do this thing." But your brain craves it so incredibly bad that you're like yeah i can text this person that is not good news for me and i've never actually enjoyed hanging out with like yeah that's a grand idea right 
It's oh man, looking back at it, oh, it's a hilarious addiction, but also so messed up. Um, but I guess comedy is how I cope with things. So, um, yeah, at that point, cold turkeying the addiction. Um, my emotions were getting better though. My body was obviously struggling with the fact that I wasn't feeding my addiction, but mentally, oh, I felt a lot better about myself. I wasn't, I still had the little bits of suicidal thoughts here and there, nothing as frequent as they were. So when you started to change course, the thought process started to change. Yeah. The self-deprecating suicidal end of my life, I'd be better, everybody would be better off without me, started to change. Yeah. Um, so I switched, I switched courses here and I changed my path. Um, and a big thing that actually helped me switch and change my path, um, I got out of a really toxic friend group, got out of a really toxic roommate situation. So moved back in with family. Um, and I got a dog. Dude, my dog was a huge part of helping with my addiction. It was a new responsibility. I did not care about anything or anybody more than my dog. Like, he he's constantly with me. He's the best dog in the entire world. Um, I, I firmly believe that. But he was definitely a big part of helping me with my addiction because he was something that I had to care for and it wasn't just me looking out for me anymore. Right. Well, and that's, you know, it seems silly, but, and, and I'll probably say this throughout the course, well, the course of my life is when, when you have purpose, um, genuine purpose, and that, and that generally includes love in some sort of fashion, whether that be for yourself, the people you're working with, the people you're working for, the people you're taking care of. But if you notice, it's all about something else besides you. And that's the, when you, when you give yourself purpose, you tend to peel away the dragon that's constantly breathing down the back of your neck. Yeah. He was definitely my purpose. And Still is. I've added on layers of purpose, for sure. But he was definitely like the week I got him. Um, I was kind of um on the edge of between two different decisions. I had found my dog online, and I had booked a trip to Hawaii, a one-way ticket. I was gonna go live and be a bum and have nothing in Hawaii, like. That was the first place where I didn't feed my addiction. Uh, I had the anxiety, but I had felt safe there. So I had bought this, bought this ticket to Hawaii. I had sold a bunch of my stuff. I was going to go live and have nothing and be homeless on the beach. Like, that was the plan. That's not a bad place. <laughs> no, no, like the greatest place to be homeless right? in any argument. But I had enough money in my pockets to where I would have been stable for food, 
if I needed to get like a hotel or like a motel for a night, if it was stormy, like I had the money there, I was going to find maybe like a small part-time job and just be a homeless beach bum. And then I saw my dog on the internet. I was like, oh, okay, so I can go live and be a homeless beach bum. Or I can have a best friend who just has to be my best friend because I love him and feed him. Like, right. so I ended up getting a refund. Well, I think most dogs are injected with love. Yeah. Mine can kind of be an asshole, but I know at the end of the day he loves me. Right. Like sometimes in the middle of the night, he'll be like, oh, let's just bite your face for no fucking reason. And wake you up from your sleep like a complete asshole. Like, that's just him. Perfect. He's just, he thinks it's okay. So, I'm not going to correct him because it's his learning and growing process and I'm going to be a good parent. Right. Horrible of me, but oh well. Um, But yeah, uh, didn't go to Hawaii, got a dog. Dog wow, just ended up saving my fluff, life. Fluff the ticket, huh? Yeah. I got a refund for the ticket. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was really shocked. I guess, like, it's a lot easier to get refunds for that kind of stuff now, like, post-COVID for flights. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I haven't flown much. Fantastic. I think I've only flown once or twice since COVID. I'm tired of airports and all the BS, but anyway, go ahead. So, so he was my initial purpose, and then I kind of got into... January, February part again. And this is when I um, could legally consume alcohol and legally go to bars. Um, Because I was illegally doing that before on a very high, high level. Um, But now I'm I'm legal. I can go to bars. I can go to drink. I don't have to worry about a fake ID. And the drinking kicked in a little bit. But I think because of my dog, it didn't kick in as heavy as most people do when they turn 21. So Um, you started to gain a conscience. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I got to go feed the thing. I got to go let it out. It's going to pee everywhere. Like I was like, I can't leave my dog home alone. All night by itself. So I had to, I actually had to have a schedule. And so that became another layer of purpose was this schedule. Because before... I had work and I had to be at work, but I was definitely one of those people. I was like, how late? Realistically, not realistically. I stayed up way past when I should have been up right? every day. But in my brain, I was like, realistically, I can run off of two hours of sleep and I can get ready-ish in 15 minutes. So I'd push my limits. I'd stay up until like four in the morning. And then I'd wake up 15 minutes before I had to walk out the door, throw on some clothes, throw my hair up, and look horrible at my job. Like, looking back at pictures now, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, how did they let me show up like that? Well, they pro- you're, it was probably borderline. They're probably like, we want to say something, but then we get sued. Like, is she going to have a mental breakdown <laughs> like, hey, if we tell her? Hey, Court, you need a shower today. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're looking a little greasy. Like, hey, have you thought about taking care of yourself? And then I just have like a massive panic attack on the floor of the work. Yeah. And I think they just, 
didn't want to get involved. I don't blame them at all. Great, caring, amazing people, but I would not have wanted to step towards that hot mess either. Um, right, right. But yeah, so I got this schedule, um, which was nice and relaxing and purposeful. And my dog was a big part of that. And then I got friends who genuinely cared about me. Yeah. So this is where the good friends kind of roll back into my life. Um, Good group of guys and girls who wanted to walk beside me and did not want to have sex with me. Like, before I was surrounding myself with quote-unquote friends, but a lot of them were, like, sex friends. Like, people who were just trying to have sex with me. Right. And they were, like, leading on this friendship or letting this friendship be a thing because they knew it could potentially lead to sex. And now I have friends who, I mean, it's just wild that they actually respect me as a person. Well, why do you think that is? Oh, I think it's just my, like, I don't know. Well, maybe because you started respecting yourself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. There, there's that part of it. <laughs> I started being myself. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I stopped trying to fit in. I was like, whatever. If people aren't going to accept me. I'll just have no friends. And then they just kind of showed up. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is nice. This is enjoyable. And I think it was... From this point, it's October now. It's about the middle of October. It's getting to the middle of October. I have not had a suicidal thought since since March. So we're so yeah, you're you're six months in something like that yeah i'm i feel the healing starting to change me as well like the beginning of the healing every once in a while i'd fall back into my addiction and i'd give into it and i knew it was not just like having intimacy with a partner like it was it was definitely having little bouts of um can you call it? It's a, I, I guess it's still considered a relapse. Having little little relapses. Well, yeah, but and see, and this is we'll we'll kind of talk about this in a second. But how do you get away from? Because it's a natural desire. It's uh, it's a healthy desire. Um, th- it's like food. Uh, when when you abuse food, how do you back off? Like I don't understand that. Like it's not something you're gonna stop, but maybe it's the mentality behind it. It's definitely the mentality. Okay. Um, so when I would have my little relapses with it, it was definitely just for the dopamine rush. Like, I didn't necessarily care about the person I was with. Or, like, there wasn't love behind it. And you can tell. You can definitely tell. Because if, oh, you, yeah. if you're yeah. checked out or the other person's checked out, yeah, it's different. Yep. It's just different. Um, but so first couple months in of kind of like going down my path of recovery, I did have a couple of my little slip ups, my little relapses. Um, 
worked on noticing them and trying to avoid them, pulling myself out of situations that I shouldn't be in, getting to sleep on time. Wildly enough, I guess science is right. If you actually sleep, you tend to be a happier person. Yeah. And I was actually getting adequate sleep. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Maybe I should have tried this in the first place. Um, yeah, like the minimum is supposed to be like six hours. And max is like eight or something like that. Oh, I get a solid eight now. That's good. Oh, it's fantastic. The nights I can't sleep too. I've got this little like uh, toker, weed toker thingy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little disposable thing. I'm not really a weed weedy person, but it's a nice little thing. It'll put me to sleep. I... I go nuts now if I don't get my eight hours. Like, yeah. I'm not someone you want to be around if I have not had my adequate amount of sleep anymore just because I I rely on it so heavily now. Right. Well, so. it's healing in nature. I mean, especially, I'm, I, I feel you on this because I've been struggling the last couple months being on the road um, of getting good rest and quality quiet time. It's If you don't have quality quiet time in your life, man, it can destroy you. That kind of leads perfectly into my other next point of what I did to heal. Um, I read it somewhere, maybe in a book, maybe in a, maybe I heard it in a, I don't know, I heard it or read it somewhere that you're supposed to do at least two acts of self-care a day for 15 minutes. Realistically, I can always guarantee getting one in. I try to aim for two. This is like, Take a nice warm 15-minute shower playing your favorite music and just jam out. Like, do something you like twice a day for 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I learned that um, several years ago. That it's self-care. Well, it is. Like, I would, for no reason other than I, I was feeling a little blue, I would dress up. And I would take myself to lunch or dinner. Or if I had to work, I would dress up and go to the, the cafe. And just kind of get in my, my zone. Um, but I got out of my house and I went into public where I'm uncomfortable and learned how to meld into that. And I did it enough that I, I, it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. But it's something that I can do that I can always do for myself that I know I enjoy. And that's taking some quality time for myself. Stepping out of our comfort zones is huge for people who are struggling with mental illness, addiction. Um, When I had to start loving my body again, because when you're dealing with that addiction, oh, you don't love your body. Well, yeah, you don't love your body for sure, and you probably don't love yourself very much. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not just the emotional not loving yourself. Like, you genuinely it's hard to look in a mirror um so didn't you ever wonder why somebody would want you then oh yeah all the time like i would ask people i was i was somebody's worst nightmare (laughs) if if we were engaged in anything i'd always be like but why like Mm -hmm. why me and I'd ask like far too many questions and they were like, you're complicating this so much. This right. is no longer enjoyable. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I, I need feedback. I'm doing a survey here. Can you please fill out these <laughs> questions and right. give them back to me so I can figure out where I am shit? 
and right. where I'm good. Right. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I should have. Oh, I should have. Yeah, you, you're going to have to fill this survey out real quick. Right. I know we're shit faced, but. Just, just go. It's a questionnaire. It needs to be honest. <laughs> email. Email everyone. Send out a mass email. All right. Hey. <laughs> right. Completely anonymous. Fill out this 10 question survey. Right. I need to know. But you said you went and you'd dress up and you'd go out to places and sit and be alone and yeah, dress up like dress it. up as um, dress up nice. I don't know if I said that. I don't dress up as a cat or anything, but go out in public and be like <laughs> just putting on Halloween meow, costumes. Meow. Yeah, <laughs> one day you're Freddy Krueger, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I kind of did the same thing, but I I stayed inside where I'd either put on like. A very nice form-fitting dress that I thought complemented my body. Or I'd go and pick out a nice robe and nice lingerie. And I'd just sit and maybe have a snack and watch a movie. But in that time, I was meditating and focusing in on myself and on the things that I loved about my body. To kind of get that positive image back that I had destroyed with my addiction. Oh, that's fair. Um, and I did a lot of things like that. Like recently I've been making it a point to every day do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like what? Um, so I don't like talking to strangers whatsoever. Severe social anxiety. Really? Yeah. Well, you don't seem to mind when you're partying. (laughs) Alcohol is a different story. (laughs) That's a little different, isn't it? Um, a little social butterfly. We did lose you. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, that is very true. Um, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I can make it seem like I'm super comfortable talking to everybody. Right. Like every time I tell people that I have like crippling social anxiety, they're like, you no way you can go up and talk to anybody and make them laugh. I'm like, yeah, but the whole time I'm dying inside. Um, so I've made it a point to like compliment a stranger or start a conversation or disrupt a pattern I've already built. So at work, I have like a pattern of stuff I say, things I do every day. Like I have an order. I go into work and I make these type of calls. And then at 10 o'clock, I switch to a different list and I call those. Like I have a structure. Right. So I'll do things like. I'll put my pens on the other side of my desk because that's not where they're supposed to be. And just little things that would usually like upset my brain. I'm trying to be more comfortable with chaos. Chaos. Yeah. And and it helps. It helps me get out of my head. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think uh, in your childhood that chaos created the organization and that's why it's so uncomfortable i feel I'm, like i didn't have organization in my didn't. childhood yeah it was so, it was chaotic yeah yeah it create it definitely created the as an adult the need so chaos is almost chaos is almost like instability yeah but you can actually have stability in chaos yeah which is what i'm trying to build for sure yeah um so between so you're trying to find a balance yeah between the two. Yeah. Because one extreme to the other is, is never good. Yeah. 
comedy has played a huge part in that. I'll make fun of myself for my little... Well, well tell us a knock-knock joke then. <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> like that. I'm just messing around. Keep going. Knock-knock, who's there? Not my sanity today. <laughs> she checked out. <laughs> right. Um, No, but comedy has been a huge, huge, huge part of that. Um, I choke nothing is off the table and I will never not say a joke as someone who wants to be in comedy and I'm I'm doing it. Are you? I'm doing the thing that makes me uncomfortable. Being on stage is like, oh, so yeah. terrifying. Oh, it's horrifying. It's so scary. I signed up to do stand-up comedy. Nice. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm getting up on the stage. Um. Well, y- y- here we go. You're creating purpose. Now, is it going to make you money? Are you going to be famous? Are you going to be rich? It doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah, no. What matters is you're creating purpose. You're getting yourself out of the the comfort zones that you're normally in. Dude, and there's nothing that makes me feel better about myself than other people laughing or hating my material. I like the feedback. <laughs> I love constructive criticism. It's fantastic. I I don't know what it is, but something about people being like, that was shit. This is where you could do better. It's fantastic. And I love it. Um, But I also love, I love the reaction of laughter. People people laughing, enjoying themselves, having a good time because of me. Oh, my people pleaser personality goes ballistic. It's, It's so so good but there's also a little bit of like a a sadistic part of it too like i'm like <laughs> i'm like a god in their eyes no i don't know it's just a little bit a tiny well, no. little part of well me. no it's 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 the same thing that everybody on stage struggles with and that's power oh yeah like you control everything that goes on pastors do it um yeah politicians mm-hmm. uh comedians actors you know it, you just run down the line singers it's there's it's the endorphins it's the oxytocin whatever it is that sparks in you it's it's that very thing oh, you're con- yeah. you're controlling a narrative and bringing joy to people's lives why wouldn't you be happy about that exactly exactly it it just comes to show why i'm so glad i never like went into like a position of like a police officer or a politician because right. I would be so corrupt. Right. Oh my gosh. I know it right now. I'd be like, I'd cause all the problems. I'd be in the news so much. <laughs> um, but instead I chose comedy because making people laugh is harmless. No, actually some of the jokes are not harmless, but at the they're, end of the they're day, not, but it's, it's for a laugh. But it's a joke. I so. don't mean it. I mean, if you want to be offended, just listen to right. G- Ricky Gervais or right. people, Chris Rock or, you know, I mean. People pay to get into these places? Yes. Pay me for me to hurt your feelings. Right. Matt Reif. That dude, oh, my God. He's <laughs> funny. He is. He's a, he's a, I love how he interacts with the crowd and gets it going. He's just, he's witty, man. So, Daniel Sloss. Hilarious. Sloss? How do you spell S-L-O-S-S. Sloss. Okay. Yeah. Oh, has to be one of my favorite comedians and has a great podcast as well. But I also like the big names like Burt Kreischer, big, big, big fan. Uh, Tom Segura, love him. Yeah. Like, I still love all of those names. Those are like big people for me in comedy. But 
when it comes to like the mental the mental healing part of it i feel like daniel sloss was the first comedian where i was like okay maybe this is something i need to get into like the laughter and the ability to cope by making the most horrific jokes at the most inappropriate time it's it's insane and it's huge for me and I'm so happy that that's my way of coping and that's my way of healing because. So that's important right there. I'm going to stop you. Not only have you given yourself purpose, you're excited for yourself. Like even in the anticipation of failure of, uh, because you will have failure. Every, every person that's ever walked on stage has failed. They will tell you this, all the big names. And they all struggle with the same damn thing and they're, they're getting the same thing you're getting out of it. Um, it's important to recognize that you will fail, but it's also important to recognize that you're excited for yourself. There's no fear in the failure anymore. That's good. Like I, before, like a little over a year ago, no, still, like less than a year ago, I was still living in constant state of fear. Because when you're dealing with suicidal thoughts and you're dealing with addiction, you are in a constant state of fear. Yeah. Even if it isn't immediately it's, recognizable. It's the world. It's the yeah. world. Everything's scary. Well, and everything is an out, outward pressure that's coming in. Yep. Everything. Yeah. And you feel it all and you recognize it all and you see the detriment in it and then you see it in your own life. Yeah. And, and yeah, when you start looking hard, it's like you, you, it's very easy to go down a nihilistic road. Yeah. And now the fear, it's, it's lifting in a lot of aspects. A lot of things I used to be afraid of, there's no fear anymore. And the stuff that is still lingering, it's lightning. Why do you think you've, you're getting away from the fear aspect? What, what's happening? I think. I've accepted that I can heal, that it's a possibility. And I've accepted that life is hard and life is shit and life sucks and that I can make the best out of it. I don't know. I think it's just finally realizing that I can be myself and I can love myself and that there is a path for good. And that I don't have to stay on the dark path because that's not my only option. Like, I think I think there's no longer a fear because I know I can pull myself out of it. I've found methods that are working. And they might not work forever. I'm going to have to find new methods. I'm going to have to find things to keep me on this positive path. But Well, yeah, you're always going to have to maintain in some form yeah, or fashion. But now I know I can do it. Right, right. Now I know that that's a possibility. How did I'm curious about this because this is the important part. It's um, it's kind of what I talk about, and and that's like if you know, especially for for people like myself, uh, severely traumatized. I never had anybody come alongside me and kick the asteroid in a different direction, uh, and I think I needed to because I couldn't think for myself. I was so conditioned in the life that I was living, I didn't know there was anything else besides that. Now I understand that. 
Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit of, is there anything pinpoint that you decided or an event that happened where you, well, I guess that would have been the pregnancy is the event. Um, that was definitely the kickstart into yeah. needing something more positive. Yeah, yeah. So a negative event impacted your life in a positive way. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense for me. I have all these negative things that have happened. And I have all this shit that some of it I haven't even talked about. And I think it's just because my brain doesn't think it's relevant. Like, to other people but, it would be. But but it is. And that's the thing. Like, if so many people downplay their own story and think it's not relevant. They think, well, I haven't been through enough yeah. to, to, to um, justify my negative thought process. Or <laughs> maybe they're so deep into it, they just don't even recognize it anymore. And I think that's what I do. Like I've been doing this so long that some of the pains that I've felt, I've forgotten, but they're still there just because I've, you know, they're just, I figured they'd always be there. Yeah. Those are the ones where they pop up in your head and you're like, Oh, I yeah. remember that. Yeah. They're the random ones that just kind of pinpoint. For me in this, this might be messed up. I look at them in a positive light now. And I couldn't tell you where the switch came in. Well, that's not that's not messed up. Uh, it's perspective change. It's a it's a paradigm shift of psyche is what happens. Yeah, I couldn't tell you exactly when. I could tell you like time frame relatively when this started to happen and when I noticed it started to happen. But I'd say it was probably around the when I turned twenty one around that month. Okay. Um. I just noticed this, I'd get those memories that pop up or I'd get those things that triggered trauma. And instead of my, my fear of, of those things kicking in my need to cope and like need to run away or go do something that gives me that positive high to get away from it, instead, like, I felt myself looking into the trauma and like, oh. So you're leaning in now. I'm leaning in and I'm pulling out the positive aspects of myself that came out of those. Right. Well, and you don't want to let the negative go and it's not to harbor it, but it's to say, well, this is the lesson that I've learned and it no longer hurts me, but I definitely le learned a lesson from this pain. So I, I don't generally forget the pain, but I can let the pain go. Yeah. Forgiveness. It is. It is. I've done a lot of internal forgiving and external forgiving yeah so i've forgiven a lot of people and i'm starting to forgive myself yeah and that's a huge part of the positivity aspect of it you know uh as you say forgiving yourself i i think of i have friends who and not just one i have uh, several that cut and they feel guilty um we don't know how to slip up and forgive and move on mm -hmm. ourselves it's a harboring of bad emotion and bad feeling and shame and it's all these detriments when you're just like well you know i didn't want to do that but i did do that and i don't want to do it again so 
but I'm not going to beat myself up. The more I beat myself up, the more likelihood that the occurrence will reoccur. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it came down to realizing that I'm a human being. I am flawed. I have my struggles. And I have things that I deal with. But we aren't designed perfectly. Like, even if... At the end of the day, God may exist, God may not exist. I choose to believe that he does. Um, but if he didn't, even if we were created by evolution, full-on evolution, or created by God. What, what makes you think God can't create evolution? And no, that's what I believe. <laughs> I fully believe, like, but for me, I don't, I don't believe in the just we came it. from, like, apes and shit, because I could just be like, screw science, I just choose not to believe in that but part of me it's highly unlikely since we still have chimpanzees right like that part of my brain is like and silverback girl there's something fishy there right yeah but but i think evolution is flawed dude some of the animals that exist today i'm like why well they're alien in nature yeah. I'm I mean, like, they're goofy looking. I'm like, why in today's society does a creature like this exist? Where the where well, the heck did you go wrong, evolution? You know, what's the purpose? But yeah. they're, they're, yeah, that's the funny thing. There my, is purpose. Yeah, my point of it being, it's still flawed. Like, we as people, oh, so many flaws. Diseases, uh, mental well, illness, like that's... Well, is creation flawed or is humanity flawed? And and because humanity's had the biggest impact on creation, yeah, on the environment. On I think it's a bit of everything. both. I mean, like I know biblically, like God's creation is perfect, but it's perfectly flawed. Yeah, He chose to let us be <laughs> flawed, so there is that. I I think we have a very. Um, that could go this conversation could go on well because and this is going to be a rabbit trail if we're not careful um i think all of humanity i mean all have a misconception if you're christian you have a misconception of god if you're muslim you have a misconception of allah like buddhist everything like and I think part of that is, well, we've been lied to so much for so long. Yeah. And not just us as a society, but humanity. So we don't really understand what is and what's to come and what has been. Exactly. I have a, I have a really hot take on this, that people from our community for sure hate because I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it and gotten a lot of negative feedback. But I choose, I choose for it to be my belief. Um, Based off of nothing. So it's an irrational belief, but it makes me happy. Um, I fully believe that if we have an all-knowing, all-loving God who understands us completely, why in the hell would he be under the assumption that everybody would be able to understand and believe the same concept of him? There's so many different cultures and there's so many different areas of the world that have never been touched by the other areas of the world. Well, yeah. So why wouldn't he choose to make multiple ways of understanding him? Well, see, now you're now you're being sacrilegious. 
but you might be onto something. Oh no! <laughs> Am I hurting people's viewpoints well, that have no, been ingrained it's, into it's, their head? Well, and that's the thing. It's uh, you know, I'm, there's a lot of indoctrination, and we all go through it in some form or fashion, in whatever area of life we're in. And you can take that to atheism, to Buddhism, to Christianity, to everybody's indoctrinated in some form or fashion. Because if you're listening to an atheist, you're being indoctrinated. If you're listening to a Christian, you're being indoctrinated. If you're listening to somebody who's neutral, you're being indoctrinated because they have opinions. Right yes, now. You are. Um, and that's where you have to weigh life for your own. Yeah. Um, the avenues to spirituality are pretty simple. It's meditation. Yeah. It's engagement in the unseen. So, but anyway, let's get, let's get back on track. Um, back onto everyone's flawed and I've just decided to accept the fact that well, I'm messed up. Yeah. I've never, I'm no longer choosing to see, and it's act, it's hard. Oh, it's hard. But I'm actively choosing whenever I get those negative thoughts to reroute them and be like, no, you're messed up. It's okay. Like, yes, this is a problem, but it's nothing that can't be fixed or it's nothing that can't be be changed into a positive light. Because there are some things about me that I will never be able to fix. Right, I can't, right. I can't, and, and the, well, you're looking for, if you're looking for perfection, you'll never find it. But no. if you accept your imperfection, yeah. you might actually find perfection. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> accepting the imperfections and I'm changing what I can. I'm... I'm actively trying to get into a place of self-acceptance and self-love. I'm never going to be fully comfortable with who I am. And I don't think anyone is fully comfortable with who they are because that would be perfection. Is it? Or is it just because I'm discovering more and more about myself, like I'm becoming more and more comfortable with who I am, like but I also am not concerned what society thinks of me anymore. That's yeah. Like I don't, I don't care what society thinks, but well, let me, let me stop. Hold on. I don't care what society thinks, but I do care what I think and how I conduct myself in society. Yeah. It's not a show. It's, I care about people. So I'm going to act like I care about people. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. The reason I don't think I'll ever be fully settled with myself is I know I'm going to have a moment of slip up where I maybe am not the kindest to somebody or maybe felt like I said the wrong thing and and I'm not going to like that because those momentary uh momentary little wrongdoings They'll always be there, and I can't fully get rid of them because, once again, I'm human, and I'm going to have bad days, and I'm going to be hungry and not gotten enough sleep and want to run somebody over with my car, but I, I can't change those things. Like, those are things that I don't think I can fish them out of the pond. Um... So there's going to be that little side of me that's like, oh, I hate that I'm that way, but I understand why I'm that way. I think Mother Teresa talked about this because she struggled with her humanity as well. And she's probably one of the kindest people that we have as a representation besides the Dalai Lama or 
you know, like Desmond Tutu or like. Yeah. I don't trust people that don't have those negative thoughts. Yeah. Like they don't have to fight for the nice positive person. Like I don't trust the people where, uh, where they see their friend and they're not like, oh man, would I love to trip his ass up right now? Or like, like. Right. Just those little small things where like you see something crossing the road and you're like, ah, 10 points. Um, I don't trust the people I, that don't have that thought. <laughs> like, well, you didn't want, you don't want to know my thoughts the other day. They were dark as fuck. I, my, even my, one of my best friends, he's like, dude, that was really fucking dark. I, right. <laughs> and like, I was like that, but that's the reality and I need to talk about it. I actively fight those every day, but instead of like the super negative like oh my gosh i can't believe i think that why would i think that i'm such a horrible person i'm like no this is hilarious like that little voice in the back of my head i'm like oh you funny bastard like it's it's yeah it's a part of me that i don't necessarily love but i often tell people that um that hear my story that have the whole thing i was like i'm i'm fairly convinced that i was a very small step away from being a school shooter. I was twisted. I was very, very twisted. My mind was twisted as a boy. Um, I look back and I can't, I don't recognize that boy. Um, like I was disconnected in so many ways and my conscience was full of rage and anger and tantrums and nobody wanted to be around me. Not one of my not one of my classmates played with me. Were were you the black hoodie, dark music, just jamming out in the corner like? No, I was the weird fucker that was crying all the time. Oh, I was a super emotional, broken kid. I lied. I cheated. I stole. I pushed. I like I pushed this girl down a ravine, walking home from school just because I was walking faster behind her, and she was in my way, and there was so much road. To go around her. Like I was dark as fuck. I literally pushed her down a ravine. Yeah. But something happened. Like I remember like that. Like it was yesterday. And there was just a little bit of something that kept me from going over that edge. Yeah. I mean. I should have. I argue. This might be a little bit of a narcissistic thing. Like a thought. Like this thought process is 100% like narcissist. But I'd argue that we are way better people than the people that don't have to fight against those negative thoughts. Like, they don't have that negative backlash voice that's telling them to do something messed up. We have that. And we're just like, no, be a good person. You have to be kind. You can't do these messed up things. Like, we have to fight against that. So my argument here is, are we better people? Well, I don't think so. I think we deal with a a heavier darkness than they do. And they've had uh, something in them at some point in their life. Uh, Maybe they didn't have a great home. Maybe they didn't have, but they're still, their natural propensity is to be kind. Yeah. And and I think that's genuine. I, I I tell you what, I would rather have that than this. I would rather have um, genuine kindness and love for people than having to work at it all the time. Because I have to work at it. I have to remind myself every day to be loving to people. And it's not it's not that I'm not. It's that I want to be aware that I'm being an asshole. Yeah. 
And if I'm aware that I'm being kind, then I'm also aware when I go south and start being unkind. And I can feel it in every bit of my tone and my voice and my body and my demeanor. I, you know, they're everything. I'm always aware of who I am. Yeah. Because Which, I'm consciously trying. I, I get the not wanting to be that way. Yeah. But where I stand, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm that way. It helps with comedy. So, oh, it, so much. It does. It helps with creativity. Like without the darkness, I feel like I'd be a like a pretty bland person. Well, it'd be like a Kirk Cameron movie. I need the spice. Ugh. I need the spice of the darkness. I'm, I'm gonna have to take that out. <laughs> oh no! Do you know who Kirk Cameron is? Yes. Okay. Gosh. That's why I always tell my friends when they leave me. I'm like, well, I feel Kirk Cameron right now, <laughs> left behind. <laughs> yeah, but I need the spice. I. Oh, I love the flavor of the darkness. It's just, it adds that little bit of riz into my comedy. It's the sinister nature of the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the most traumatized people are the funniest. Yeah, but they are the most traumatized. Yeah. That's Robin Williams right there. Yeah. He's one of the funniest men on the planet and... He was tortured. Nobody tortured. Well, his close people did. Check up on your funny friends. Yeah, they're struggling. Check up on them. Funny people do struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe ask them how their day was. Something, because we're dying inside. Well, and there's (laughs) always this assumption that if you're a comedian, that you're happy. Yeah, and I uh, think and, uh, more comedians are starting to talk on that, that that's not necessarily the case. Well, it's generally not the case. Yeah. Um, the, it's the avenue. It's like this. This is the avenue to relief, relieve the pressure cooker. Oh, yeah. If I can talk, I can I can keep it on. A, like I, I function at this... You add rage and anger and then depression. You get these two levels of these two underlying tones that are always in my life at a constant vibration. And I'm always having to turn the volume down on them and make sure that they're um, not going to get out of control. And man, that's tough. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, but I guess my story is not ending. So as of now, who knows? Right. You never know. Might might switch up again. You, I, I don't. Well, and you know, as you experience failure in the heart of finding joy, it'll do one of two things. It'll push you backwards or you'll dig in and you'll find that failure as a, a teacher. It'll it can accelerate you forward. Yeah. And and it can be horrific sometimes and it can be heartbreaking and and um it can send you down a path, but that's that's where you start finding strength in the joy to say, I know this is gonna happen again, or at least there's a possibility a good possibility that it will happen again. So these are the tools I'm gonna put in place to combat that. So I only spend a little bit of time in the darkness. And I can get out of it and start moving forward again. Yeah. 
Because we think that there's this all healing, everything's going to be okay, and that's why they do medication. Because they can't solve it. They can't cure it. They can't heal it. They, but they can subdue it for long periods of time. And they can keep you numb for long periods of time. The important thing is to face your your struggles and your fears and your your hardships and your 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 addictions. And you were talking about um it was almost like this when you started accepting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. I was like, you know, if as in and I'll relate this to my my um belief system because uh, that's where it happened is I was like if God is this all loving God and he likes some shithead like me fine then I'll just accept myself I like my drugs I like my liquor I like my women I like my pornography I like all this other stuff and the counterintuitive or the 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 very thing that I embraced began to peel away and that was myself all those layers of those things that I love so much and that kept me uh, medicated in a lot of ways. Uh, like I haven't watched porn in a year and a half. I have no interest in it whatsoever. It's actually disgusting to me now. I can't even. That's so good. Like I, I thought I, I always considered it the best man. They're the a single man's best friend, and it's like. Oh, it's so detrimental to you. Well, I tell you, I'm 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 an older man now, and I'm was struggling. I'm diabetic, you know, brain tumor struggling with the old uppity up on the ween ween. And, <laughs> and, uh, since I stopped watching porn, yeah, I'm better like a spry 20 year old again. Like I've that shit that. messes with your mind Be- and you don't know it. And I didn't go into this and say, I'm going to get away from porn. Cause no, it's the only, like I've been single for five years and, uh, don't, I'm not promiscuous. So I've been single for five years Yeah, and, and it, it took like pornography took so much away from me as a man. It actually created depression for me Yeah, because I wasn't getting what I thought was necessary in a relationship and i didn't have this unrealistic image of what it was going to be or lasting or um weird positions or weird shit i I mean that wasn't my thing but um like i've always visualized women and there's just something about the visual nature of it that always did something for me yeah and now it's yeah yeah and um well, I've been away from that part of it, you know, just the, the actual physical part of it for so long. Uh, but also now that the pornography is gone, it's like, and even when I'm like struggling, that's not even on my mind anymore. It's the weirdest damn thing. Cause I didn't try to stop watching porn. I literally thought it was, I was just, you just did one day. I was like, I don't like that about myself anymore. Yeah. And that's not who I want to be. And I don't care what anybody else thinks, but that's just not who I want to be. Which I've done a little bit of research on that because uh, because of my addiction, I wanted to know how other people like dealt with that kind of stuff. Because that that's, a, that's a level of a sex addiction. That's a level of oh, it. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, 
And I did. Through a lot of my research, I found out that in older men, when they stopped watching porn, a lot of the uh, like erectile dif- dysfunction and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, it it stopped and it got better. Yeah. Um, or their sex drive actually went up. In a lot of young men, the sex drive is going down significantly well, because of porn. And they say it's not repairable. Like I feel yeah. pretty damn lucky that like this wasn't like a, to- but I could feel the effect on me. Like, uh, especially being, uh, physically um, ill or whatever, um, being diabetic, I could feel those effects happening to me and be like, what am I going to do? I got to really work at this. And, and then, oh, then I got to take supplements. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. well, nobody wants to do that. Well, the amount of people that are now on hormone therapy mm. and all that other kind of stuff is insane. Oh, they're, they're, we have no idea the ca- long-term effects of this. Chemically, hormonally, it messes you up severely. This is what we're starting to see. Yeah. Uh, heavy, heavy amounts of depression, anxiety because of uh, self-hate around it. Yeah. There's... Well, not just self-hate, but help, hate for the, your partner yeah. or spouse. Yeah. It... It messes up your brain chemically significantly, so it's it's a really dangerous addiction. So yeah, it yeah. is. Well, and it, that that's true. Um, yeah, I think a lot of di- well, most addictions are dangerous in their own own right, um, and they generally lead to something else. Is my guess is at least that's what I've seen. Yeah, but. It's once you start to accept yourself, the negative parts start to fall off. They do. That's the weirdest counterintuitive thing you could do. It's so weird because you're like, okay, I'm okay with the fact that I have these problems. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, these yeah. are here. They might never go away, but I'm no longer going to beat myself up for it. And with me doing that as well, there have been things that have just kind of fallen away. And I, I've i noticed like a lighter, more relaxed feeling when things are starting to fall away. Well, why not accept the very person that you're already acting out as being? Right. Like it doesn't, like, and that's the, it's the, why would I accept such a terrible person? Well, because once you do, you start looking at that terrible person because they need and, love too. Well, and you're like, well, I don't want you to be that anymore. And yeah. we're gonna we're gonna reroute. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna switch that up. And we're gonna stop watching porn. And we're gonna stop smoking this. And we're gonna stop doing this. And we're gonna. And I don't know what I'm gonna supplement that with. It may be nothing, but I'm not gonna be that anymore. And if I can work on one thing at a time and just love that, mm-hmm. love myself through that, mm-hmm. not be myself up through it, but yeah. love myself through it. I can start making progress and find joy. Well, if you believe in Jesus, that's exactly that. That's exactly that story that you can turn on to yourself. Like, he picked a prostitute. He picked murderers. He picked thieves. He picked people that did the worst of the worst things and And loved loved them. them. Yeah. And those people with that little bit of love started to love themselves. Well, they echo through thousands of years now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got murderers, adulterers, killers. I mean, they're just, they were brutal men in a brutal time. And 
saw something and became something different. Yeah. And you have to love the things that you hate. Well, it doesn't even matter if you believe in Jesus or not. That's a damn good story. Yeah. Like oh you got a you got a man I don't care what you believe. You got a man that that uh makes his presence known on in his region of the world and just simply like I don't care what you read in the Bible, break it down. It's one thing. It's, well, it's two words, love people. It's a hell of a story, too. Like, even oh, if you aren't biblical, if you read the, the story, Bible. The stories are oh. freaking awesome. Plot twist on plot twist on plot twist. Well, people get so hung up on the murder and God opened the earth and killed everybody and flooded and he's a cruel God. and blah. Maybe we're just dumb fucking people. Oh. oh, definitely the latter of those two. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and you, you know, they're like, well, they flooded the earth and the chaos and you know the um well, what were can you imagine what those people were before what they became right they were just lawless have you ever lived in a lawless community or society oh that sounds terrifying oh my god murder mayhem rape child everything what i like to do taking i mean just taking when i hear those people that are like well why could you believe in this? Like all this stuff in the Old Testament, God was such a cruel God. Can you imagine having that power and not getting angry and being like, "Oh, do but, you want to do you want to fuck around and find out?" Because you'll find out. Like I know if I had that kind of power, oh my gosh, the earth would be flooded again. Well, and that's where I think we have a a, a very large misconception of creation and god yeah if you believe in god i think there's start asking questions but um it's natural to ask questions well yeah we're innately curious creatures and to not have questions just makes you a sheep (laughs) it does well there are a lot of sheep oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) lots of them yeah um but no, I don't I don't have anything I you know, the farther I go down this path, the less animosity I have for Christianity because I know it's spread through every religion, every practice. And someone will say, Well, that's not in my practice because I'm I belong to a hippie commune and everybody's love and peace. Everybody's got freaking problems. Everybody miscalculates this life. Everybody. Everybody falls short. I'm a firm believer that every mass idea group, whether this is religion, political, lifestyle, all of them push self-hate. Like, they put a cute label on it to make it look like it's not self-hate, but... That's actually a good point. Hey, you're doing this. You shouldn't do this. Hey, you shouldn't hate yourself. But then you hate yourself for hating yourself, and... All of them push self-hate. And if they were to just be like, hey, guys, actually, you're fine who you are. Well, that's, Maybe try that. That's walking beside somebody. Yeah. It's not dragging them along. It's not pushing them along. It's walking beside them. When mm-hmm. they kneel, you kneel. When they sit, you sit. When they need strength, you help them back up. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's when just they like, jump off a bridge, you and, jump off the bridge. Yeah, and guess what? That's a that's a whole new concept to 
helping people. Yeah. It's not, I'm going to medicate you. Oh, you have this. Well, you need a psychologist. And, oh, you have this? I'm the psychologist. Now you need medication. That's like, well, no, let's actually, let's maybe let's relieve the, release the pressure first. Yeah. Do some people need it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I fully agree. Yeah. But it, it, medicine, you know, I'm, I'm no psychologist. Um, but I think medicine, medication for mental illness should be temporary unless it's severe mental illness. I've always felt the same. Um, do I believe it helps people significantly? Oh, yeah. It's helped yeah. me several times over my life. But I don't think it should be a forever thing. Numbing yourself forever is dangerous. Um, I didn't. I was on my medication for. It took me. The I I was on it for the amount of time they told me to be on it to give it a chance. And immediately I was like, okay, absolutely not. It's it's hard to be on because yeah, you're not depressed. Well, you are, but you're not. You're not living in the hell that you normally live in, but you're not happy either. And you don't really feel emotion very much. And it's kind of just this dullness to life. It, I have what I, what I say is a healthy amount of voices in my head. Like, right. I do too. And you know, I, I would sit here and, and, question my sanity at times because of what I see. Yeah. And there, so, you know, and some people would maybe say, well, that's a little schizophrenic. Well, maybe it is. Problem is I'm fucking sane. Right. And at least uh, I'm never alone. Well, I, I would rather be alone from what I see. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely have those ones too, where I'm just like, holy shit. Man, would you leave my brain for a couple seconds? Like, no, but medication like completely silenced all of that. Oh, I hated yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, I, I remember vividly riding in a car with my grandma to go get a burger from this really good burger joint we have in town. And you're slobbering on the window the whole way. Oh my gosh. And I couldn't, I couldn't, th- I couldn't even think about the that's, joy that's from I was. The, that's from the medication, not because you're getting a burger. <laughs> I know. I couldn't even think about the joy that I was about to experience with these burgers. I, and I was like, oh, I hate this. I looked over at my grandma and went, I feel nothing. And in the most monotone, horrible way, I just go, I feel nothing. And she laughed. And that's when I was like, oh, this is not for me. I was like, I should maybe not be on the medication. And well, yeah, and, and that's why I think I'm convinced. To, you know, it's great that we we have the counselors that care about people, and we have an an oppor- and things that are available to help us with those coping mechanisms. But I just I'm a firm believer that it's not not should never be permanent. Like one to three years with good counseling, maybe even intense counseling. And then you should be like moving in a positive, like light and direction like that second and third year of counseling. You should be on your way to changing the course of your life in the direction. Or else else we need to find another path for you. Yeah. I, I blows my mind 
that counseling or at least directed conversation is not required with medication. Right. They'll just give you meds and be like, and now you're better. You're depressed. You Oh, you have suicidal thoughts. Uh, well, maybe we should have you evaluated. Yeah. And, and then if you say it more than too much, if we think you're even remotely serious, we'll lock you up, give you some medication, and then we'll talk you off the ledge. It's like, how about we just have a fucking conversation? Yeah. Like, how about how about when I come in to get help instead of terrifying me? You uh, you actually have a solid conversation with me, figure out what's going on, and then create a line of treatment that's actually going to do some positive instead of just throwing a prescription at me and yeah. telling me to be on my way. Um, I seriously think that it should be required. If you are going to get these prescription medications that alter your mindset, you should be required to be in counseling or talk to somebody once a week. Yeah, for sure. For Which, sure. And that's also becoming a problem of we need to we need to have access to therapy that isn't insanely expensive. True. I mean that is it it you know, it took me about I started going to counseling when I was ten, um, for damn good reason. The problem was that every counselor I ever went to, I was smarter than. I knew myself already at such a young age. I knew what made me tick. So I, and and I that may have been a problem with, um, well, being emotionally intelligent at such a young age. Um, but I did find a counselor. It was my last attempt. It was a Hail Mary. And it was a Christian counselor. And I was very much adverse to Christianity at the time, which you can kind of hear in my tone in my podcast. And I try to be careful because I don't really, like I'm trying not to be. Anti-certain religions. Well, like, just, just hurtful towards something that really hurt me. Yeah. No. And, yeah, I get that. Um that I gave my life to that pretty much destroyed my life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I won't get into that, but anyway, um, at least not right now. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, I just, I don't want to, with the counseling, it, it was a, it was a last ditch effort. It was a hail Mary. It was, um, if, and I, I told my counselor when I walked in, I was like, if you try to pray with me, I'm leaving. If we talk about religion, I'm leaving. And she's like, this is your time. You can talk about whatever you want. If you want to talk about religion, we'll talk about religion. If you don't, I'll never bring it up. So I was like, okay. So we set some ground rules and she's very okay with that. And as we went through the counseling, I started to find joy and f I found life. Is she local here? Used to be, yeah. Used to be local here. Is she yeah. an older lady? No, she's in her, uh, you know, I don't know how old she was, maybe late 
30, mid thirties to early forties. Oh, I was, I maybe younger than that. I, you know, cause I had a very similar counselor and just didn't, didn't end up working for me. I didn't really enjoy counseling. Um, I enjoyed kind of just processing things out loud to myself. Like I just talked to myself and that felt more impactful, but I very much enjoyed my time with my counselor and she had the same, the same way about her. Like the same mentality the of, same. or same approach. She yeah. was the Christian counselor and I went, hey, like, I do have spirituality, but like, I don't want to bring that into my counseling. Like, I'd rather leave that to the side. And she goes, no problem. Like, this is yeah. your time. You get to lead this. She goes, I'm not going to cross your hard boundaries. Those are your hard no's for a reason. And I was like, wow, this is a positive human relationship. This is... Well, it's a smart way of yeah. um, allowing you to talk about something that's hurt you so so deeply. And I ended up talking about my spirituality quite a bit, actually. Yeah. That's the thing that you don't want to talk to talk about. And you're like, we're not going to do this. Well, I don't want to be told by one more person to pray about all my fucking problems. Right. I've been praying for my problems since I was a boy. Mm-hmm. And all my problems keep compounding. It's like prayer's not the answer. I need perspective change. I need paradigm shift. I need help. Yeah. I need to untangle the mind that is so twisted. That's been so. It's like a, it's like a sponge just getting wrung out, and that yeah. stays twisted, dries twisted. Yeah, and it needs it needs something fresh to open it back up. Yeah, definitely to end as a preference. I want to say if you feel like you need the help and you need to go get medication or counseling or anything like that, like, I want people to know that that's a good thing. Yeah, don't be ashamed. And you should do it. You should 100% do it. Like, don't wait till it's too late. Oh, man. Like, well, don't don't wait until you're forced into it. I'll give you a little funny story at the end of this. No, oh, I'm always down for a giggle. So I'm supposed to be going to this um, Elton John party tonight. Oh. So, you know, there's um, Elton John, what, what is it, like an impersonator band? And I get to dress up in Elton John attire. That's awesome. So I was in the department store today <laughs> in the women's section. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a pretty like skater yeah motorcycles yes you are that's a hundred percent your kind of a manly kind of guy you know i love the woods and camping all this but i've got all these women's clothes in my hands and i'm like i honestly don't give two shits what these people think i take them to the dressing room and i'm trying on women's clothes for the first time since i was like Seven years old, my sister dressed me up as a girl. I love that. <laughs> and I'm just busting up laughing in the freaking dressing room. It was good. It was good. Oh, that's awesome. I I feel like my style, I'm definitely, I'm not super feminine. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen me like super feminine. Like I'm over here right now in a type of hat that men usually wear like right. the five panel hikers hat and yeah. sweatpants and a Harley Davidson sweatshirt and I have clogs on like 
not the epitome of femininity. Um, so I think it's hilarious that you were over here just giggling, cracking up. Because I do the same thing when I put on that like really feminine stuff. I'm like, huh, this does not feel natural. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be so out of place tonight. I want pictures. Yeah. Yeah, I walked in here and I was like, who did he have over? <laughs> like, why? I was like, what are these clothes? And then yeah. now hearing that, I'm like, oh, man, I want to see that outfit. Right. I just got to find my glittery thong and I'll be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll help you find one. That's right. All right. Let's close this out. Uh, any other last words of advice, um, encouragement? Um, Accept yourself. Yeah. Like, accept yourself and understand that uh, you you can get better. Like, oh, yeah, hopefully, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a hard road for people. It's a hard road for me. I mean, that's why this whole freaking thing started. Yeah. I mean, there are people, there are people out there that have similar experiences to you. Oh, yeah. Find one. Even in the worst ways. You yeah. think that somebody doesn't else doesn't have it? They do. And I think we discovered that in the second podcast is like there people deal with dark stuff. Don't don't be afraid to yeah. to tell your story. Yeah. Because you might find someone that dealt with similar things and got out of it. Well, you just kinda of touched on something there. Exposure. Yeah. When you can expose yourself, you can do something about yourself. Yeah. And you don't want to expose yourself to the wrong people. And I don't mean like, you know, trench coat exposure. It's, it's emotional exposure. It's, it's giving somebody that you can, well, and that's the hard thing. Who, who do I trust? Emotionally streaking. Yes. You are emotionally streaking. That's, we need to accept that. Yeah. That's a good one. Society of emotional streakers. That's how we're going to end this. Yeah. Go out there and be an emotional streaker. An emotional streaker amongst men. And do it with the intention of being part of the solution, not part of the problem. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's a good note. On that, thanks for joining the Suicide Monk. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Courtney. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. It's been fun. Peace out, and we'll see you on the flip side. All right, well, that's the conclusion of addiction, sex, and suicide. Um, join us next week for a special episode, two-part series also, of a young woman who lost her husband and left behind five kids. Um, yeah, heartbreaking. And not only that, there's a, also a twist. You know, it's it's more than one suicide. So, um, a beautiful story, heartwarming, heartbreaking. Uh, so yeah, please join us and support her. Um, I also have a GoFundMe started for somebody that. Uh, well, I know a lot of people that that can use uh, therapy, but this young woman, she needs. She needs help. She needs to talk to somebody on a regular basis on a professional level. So I will put that link in the bottom and you can support this if you'd like, if you feel led. If not, just leave a comment. Um, 
if there's other content you want to hear or if you want to be part of this if you have a story uh, that you want to tell um, and you may think it's insignificant but run it by me because I think most stories are significant I think uh, I think they're important so thank you for listening peace out